0: Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Now, one thing I want us to start with today before we get into the Word is I want you to recognize that Jonah has to go tell these people some bad news. For them to get the good news that the Lord says, and that he is a good God and he's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. For those people in Nineveh to understand that, they have to hear the bad news first. That in their sin, they need repentance. And without repentance, in 40 days, right, they're going to be destroyed by the Lord. Now, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever had to be the one to tell someone bad news? Have you ever had to be the messenger for some bad news? Yeah? I asked Maddie if it was okay that I told this story because it may be a little awkward. But when I was in high school, uh, I dated a girl and I went to, yeah, uh, went to her. Okay, yeah, I know. That's why I asked her first and foremost so don't, we talked about it the other night, so it's okay. (laughs) But I went to this girl's house. It was the first time I was going over to their house. Of course, you know, anybody remember their first date with somebody? And they, first time meeting parents, right? kind of a scary situation, right? Of course, me being the boy, dad was kind of looking at me like, oh, who are you? What are you, you know, what are you here for? And we had dinner. Everything went well. Well, I was leaving that night, and they had already gone to bed, and as I was backing my car out, it was dark at their house, and it was kind of out in the country, so there was poor lighting. That's my excuse, and I put it in reverse, and I backed in right into their brand new car. (laughs) Talk about making a good first impression, Right. And let me tell you, I remember calling this girl up and I said, "Uh, hey, you might want to come outside. I think I hit your parents' new car. And they're like, well, they're in bed. I can't, we can't. And she said, well, you need to call them tomorrow morning and tell them what happened. I'm thinking like, oh, boy, (laughs) what a bad start to this. I had to tell them some bad news that next morning that uh, little 16-year-old Trent backed into their brand new car. I did not like to have to tell them that good news or bad news, it was bad news, not good news, bad news. But the good news was is they forgave me because they have something called insurance in some of my parents. See, this was the predicament that our friend Jonah was in. He had to tell the people of Nineveh some really bad news that if they didn't stop sinning, they would be destroyed by God. Boy, let me tell you, I thought I was going to get destroyed by her parents. But up to this point in the story, Jonah really didn't want to have to share this news with them to repent and turned towards the Lord. Now, I'm sure part of it was the healthy fear of these people, right? They were dangerous, right? They were people who murdered and and stole things, right? And especially for that time, Assyria and Israel, they were not buddies. Let me just put it that way. Jonah probably knew that he would get destroyed from the moment he got there. But understand that that was not going to stop God from going fulfilling his plan. Also, I think... Just practically speaking, I think Jonah just didn't want to see those people come to repentance. You see, when it comes to the gospel, I think oftentimes we find ourselves in a similar position. We want people to hear the good news that Jesus saves, and in our deepest desires, we want to see people to see how great our God is. But unfortunately, to get the good news that Jesus saves, you've got to hear the bad news is that you're a sinner. And your sin, when it is finished, like James 1 says, brings death, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. See, that part's not very fun to tell people, is it? To understand the grace and the mercy of God, we've got to understand that without our sin, we would have nothing for our God to give us grace for, right? In our sin, we have nothing to bring to God. In fact, we're parted from God for all eternity if we do not turn to His Son, Jesus. But for people, for us as Christians, that's a difficult thing for us to have to go tell someone get the good news you got to hear some bad news. That the only way to have a relationship with God and fully receive salvation and freedom from the bondage of sin is to understand that you are a sinner. I am a sinner. Eternal separation from God is something that I don't want for anyone. And sometimes we get really confused by that of, well, Hold on a minute, Trent. We want people to hear that Jesus saves and and God is love, right? God is love. But God is also justice. We see that with the people in Italy. He was going to give them a chance to repent, but if they did not repent, he was going to destroy them. Why? Because God is holy. That's something that we have to understand as believers today is that our God is a holy God. Yes, he loves you so much. He sent his son Jesus to prove that. But if you don't accept his son Jesus then you don't get the joy of spending all eternity with him. In fact, you get eternity separated from him. The bad news is that we cannot approach, approach the throne of God by our own merit. However, the good news is that despite our weaknesses and shortcomings, the scriptures say that we have a high priest that is able to sympathize with our weakness and who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. And because of that, we can draw near to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace and help in time in your time of need. Praise the Lord for that, amen? So today, I want you to know that to hear the good news, you got to first hear the bad news. And that was exactly where Jonah was. He had to go to the place called Nineveh, an evil place, and call out against them. And so today, as we read through this story of Jonah, I want us to see how the people of Nineveh respond to this. How a guy like Jonah, a foreigner, comes in, and he proclaims this great message that you need salvation, and we'll see how the character of God is towards sinful man who repents. Today, I don't know where you're at, church. I don't know your, your testimony, where you're at at this moment, but I pray today that if you don't know Jesus as Lord, that today will be the day of your salvation. I pray today that as we read through the story of Jonah, we can look towards the future in the New Testament of the Gospels of a God who would not leave us in our sin, but who instead would send himself in the form of a servant, of a friend. Again, like we said in Hebrews, a high priest who sympathized with our weakness. I pray today, my friends, that you find Jesus in this text. So let's go there. Jonah chapter 3. I'll just read the first few passages here. We're going to try to go through all of Jonah 3 today. In verse 1 it says, In the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. When I read this passage, the first thing that I noticed was that it's actually similar language to chapter 1. Do you remember this? In verse 1, or in verse 2 of chapter 1, God told Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here's Jonah, after he just got spat out of the belly of of a great fish. And God's like, hey, what did I say again? You ever have that happen when you were growing up? Mom and dad, they tell you to go do something, you don't do it. They give you a a good old-fashioned smackdown whooping and they look at you again they say hey what did i just say? <laughs> you told me to go do that. It's kind of what i imagine Jonah being like in this situation, right? Go a second time he said, rise, go to that great city and call out against it the message that i tell you. And what does Jonah do after God tells him a second time? After disciplined, being disciplined by the Lord, he goes. Verse 3 it said to Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't flee again. Again, nothing was going to stop the Lord's message from getting to these people. And, you know, I, I just want to stop here for just a second and make us kind of think for just a second. Make this applicational if I can. How much easier would our lives be if we just remained obedient to the Lord the first time? I said the first time, that's two. First time. First time. So often we proclaim just how much we love our Lord, yet we do such a poor job of being obedient to His Word. See, there's times where we see what the Word of the Lord commands, however, for some reason we're just so hesitant to fulfill it. You know, at times I feel like we just view following the Word of the Lord as more of a chore than a joy. You know, after all, our way is more comfortable, it's easier. It seems like the Word of the Lord is maybe not as comfortable, maybe not as easy. Do you think Jonah was comfortable with going to preach to the place in Nineveh? No, absolutely not. It reminds me of a passage in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. To understand that following the word of the Lord, it means that you love the Lord. Because it says in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments And hear this, his commandments are not burdensome. See, when we say that we love God and we love Christ, we should see that the joy of being obedient to his word, it is a joy. It's not a task. It's not burdensome. But it brings us life. Understand that what our hearts want and what the Lord wants are two different things sometimes. It's so important to realign your heart with the Lord. And I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 1, delight in the law of the Lord. That's something that we need, so we don't have these situations like Jonah and disobeying the Lord. I pray the day that can be you, that you can obey the word of the Lord. Now, let's continue on. So in Jonah 3, verse 3, it says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days in journey and breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wow, what a message, right? <laughs> now something to consider here, as we see the writer mention that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Right, that means like from where Jonah probably got spat out at, it probably took him three days to get there. And then we see later on even, it says that it took him a full day to get into the city. It was a big city. I think we got a map of Nineveh here. I know it's probably kind of hard to see. But, I mean, it was a thriving city. In chapter 4, the Lord even mentions how Nineveh had over 120,000 people and many animals. Right? So, obviously, it was a, a massive city. According to some archaeological uncoverings of Nineveh and some just uh, accounts written about it, it said that it was to contain such luxuries such as public squares, parks, botanical gardens, and even a zoo. Could you imagine going to the zoo at Nineveh? Wow. We can see that this is no small village, but rather a booming, bustling city lying within the confines of the Assyrian Empire, the greatest world power at the time, right? To think about it in today's terms, modern day, or Nineveh at this time would probably be been about modern day Columbia, Missouri, if that just kind of Put your mind to how big this town was. Because you think about it, here's lonely old Jonah coming to bring the word of the Lord, and these people are going to repent, as we're going to see. Could you imagine that kind of a task? Could you imagine one of you guys here today going to Columbia, Missouri, and calling out and saying, Lord, or just calling out for for the people of Columbia since. My friend Luke here, uh, he lives in Columbia now. Luke, could you imagine going to Columbia and doing that? probably not be a lot but Jonah did it but it it wasn't because Jonah had this great message right he did but it wasn't because Jonah had it up here and he was thinking what am I going to say what am I going to say right verse 4 it said yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown eight words is all the scripture provides for us that Jonah said eight words one sentence one simple prophecy notice how Jonah doesn't elaborate and go through a full three-point sermon. He doesn't lead with a huge introduction like, hey, I'm Jonah, here's why you should listen to me. Or even a simple icebreaker joke. He didn't even wear a tie probably. Who knows? He doesn't mention the name of the Lord. How could these people of Nineveh ever repent to a message like that? But again, I say this, be reminded what the Lord told them at the beginning of the chapter. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. It's important to keep in mind that this is not just Jonah speaking on his own accord, but rather this is the message that the Lord had given him. He wasn't just speaking the word the Lord gave him. Jonah was proclaiming the word that the Lord gave him. It may not seem like much with the context we have from the text, but look what happens next. Look how the people of Nineveh, Responded in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Hallelujah. Again, it wasn't because Jonah was some great preacher man coming in with his Bible under his arm. No, he was given the word of the Lord and he proclaimed it. Boldly to these people. And they believed it. Only a work from God. They believed in Jonah's words because the Spirit of God had convicted them of their sin and made it apparent to them that they needed to turn towards him. What a powerful exhibition of the Lord's work. But not only this, but it says that they called for a fast and put on a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And we're talking about that more in a minute, of what that means, because that's a pretty interesting uh, response, not just repenting, but, but doing those things. But it must have made an impact on the community of Nineveh because we see in verse 6 that it eventually gets to the king. In verse 6, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh by the decree of the king, decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let him not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone who turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Man, how powerful is that? That not only do the people of Nineveh repent, but the king repents and turns towards God. And like I mentioned, we saw it in the text. We see the response of the Ninevites. They do something very interesting. Not only do they repent, but they fasted, and they put on sackcloth. And the king, he sat in ashes. But why? Why would they do that? That's kind of a strange thing. There's a great resource that I like to use called Got Questions, because I asked that. I had a question. Why did they do that? (laughs) But... According to God, question, sackcloth and ashes were used in Old Testament times as a symbol of debasement, mourning, repentance. It was them mourning their sin. Someone wanting to show that his repentant heart would often wear sackcloth, sit in ashes, or put s- ashes on his head. understand that sackcloth, of course, if you know, is not very comfortable material, right? So you're feeling pretty uncomfortable while you're wearing it. But we see that these people of Nineveh were mourning their sin, they were lamenting and how much they displeased the Lord. And to think that the king himself became convicted and turned his ways is absolutely mind-boggling to me. See, it's one thing when the people, just the regular old townspersons, show a repentant heart. But for the king to repent and calling for a nationwide mourning, how remarkable is that? Only God can orchestrate such a thing. I mean, just think about this for a second. Could you imagine the impact that would have today if someone were to go to a place like North Korea and proclaim the gospel and Kim Jong-un came to repentance? Wow. Could you imagine the impact that would have on the culture of North Korea? See, this is why it's so crucial for us to be bold in sharing the gospel with the lost. I feel like we get really nervous when we have to go proclaim the word of the Lord to people. We know what we're called to do. We know that we need to go and tell people about the saving power of Jesus Christ, but yet, we get scared, don't we? We get afraid. we're like, "Oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm going to butcher it." We wait for the opportunity to rise. How many of you have those friends or family or coworkers that you're like, "I'll eventually get around to sharing it. I'm just waiting for, Have you ever said this? I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to come up. Some of us, yeah. I know, I I say that sometimes. See, when we look at the example of Jonah, now Jonah was a bad example for most of his story. But here's a good example of Jonah, is that he boldly went and proclaimed the gospel to these people. And it's pretty evident that he didn't really care about what their their response was going to be. But he wasn't, he had the Lord with him, right? That's what I'm trying to get at. He had the Lord with him. And when you go to proclaim the gospel, understand that you are not speaking on your own authority. You are speaking from the word of the Lord and the work of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. And understand that to share the gospel, it means sharing it with boldness and confidence. You know, my Bible, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I have this scripture on the front of it. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God For salvation to everyone who believes. Understand that the gospel, we as Christians should not be ashamed of it. We should have confidence to want to share this awesome message with people who are lost. And like I mentioned, it's a beautiful thing to understand that when we go to share the gospel, when we get to share it boldly and confidently, again, we don't speak on our own accord, but we speak Holy Spirit. We have a helper who helps us, right? John 14, 26 says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever had that happen? When you're sharing with somebody and man, you're just spitting off those Bible verses right and left, things are going really well. Isn't that amazing how the Lord is able to do that? It's such an amazing thing. In Hebrews thirteen six. Right? Some of our fears are, well, what are people going to think of me? Well, remember this. In 1360 it says, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. What an amazing thing. To finish out in verse 10, Jonah 3.10, it says that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented a disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow. If this is anything in this text, if there's anything today that I want you to see, is the character of God and the promises that he keeps. And maybe we're reading this passage and we think to ourselves, well, wait, didn't God tell him that you have 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed? Right? He had, didn't he have plans on destroying Nineveh? Well, that's not the thing to see here. We see that God allowed 40 days to pass Before he was going to destroy Nineveh, he was going to give them a chance to repent. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a God who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and grace and mercy and all the the adjectives, right? We have to understand that God takes joy and he loves it when his people repent. And people who weren't his people originally repent and turn towards him. He's a faithful God, and maybe you need reminded of that today. The Lord is faithful to His people. But maybe you're here today and you feel like you've messed up far too many times, and God can never forgive you for all the wrongs that you've done. Well, can I tell you today that if you are willing to turn from your evil ways and turn towards Him, not only will He forgive you, but He will put your past behind Your sins behind him. Write Psalms 103, verse 12. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions. Praise the Lord for that. But understand, it's not on anything that you can do, but what Christ has already done. For you today, to hear the good news that Jesus saved, you got to understand first that you are a sinner. And that in your own sin, if you do not turn towards Christ, And follow him and allow his word to dwell richly on your heart. If you don't do that and you live by this world and do what the world says you should do. And don't listen to the word of the Lord, disobeying it constantly. Understand that God is a God of justice. It's only through Christ that we have forgiveness of sin. And so today, if you're struggling with that, understand that all you have to do, it's so simple, is turn towards the Lord. See, the way that we as Christians, as pastors, we like to talk about it is that it's a gift. It's a free gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it, or there's nothing you can do you don't deserve it. It's a gift. And as I got to thinking about it, I'm thinking about what is the greatest gift that I ever received? And uh, I want to take you back a couple years um, 2001, I was four years old. Uh, I'm sitting on my little Kansas City Chiefs beanbag chair in front of my box TV, and uh, this commercial comes on. Go ahead and play it. Uh oh. You put it together. Did you hear that? (laughs) I remember that year. That came on around Christmas time in 2001. I remember telling Sandy Claus, that is what I want, number one on my list. And so picture this. Christmas morning comes around, 2001, right? Did Did I tell you it's 2001? Okay. I wake up Christmas morning. I go running down the hall, and what do you know? A long rectangular box sitting underneath the Christmas tree, and guess what? It has my name on it. And I go run, and I rip open that paper, and I see it, that orange lettering, Hot Wheels Fireball. <laughs> oh, boy. Little four-year-old Trent was so excited. I remember parents trying to unwrap gifts, but I was, I was so infatuated with this gift that I couldn't even, couldn't even think about what anything else was happening. And after that all happened, right, Christmas morning finished, I said, like, Dad, you got to put it together, right? Because got to put it together, right? The, the commercial said so. So we put it together and man, this thing is so sweet. It's got the whole wheel things going. You know, you plug it in the wall and it's got the cars, the two cars that glow in the dark. So we turn off the lights and it's floating around, right? And I was so happy. I got the gift. I got the thing. The amazing gift. And it didn't do the things that the commercial showed and About 20 minutes after getting the gift, I was like, "Yeah, okay, I'm good," (laughs) and that was about it. I think it ended up getting sold at a garage sale or something. I don't know. All that excitement for that gift—I waited a full month and a half to get this gift. I was so excited, yet it it lost its luster pretty quickly. And to think, my poor parents—they spent all that money on me for this gift that I really didn't deserve. All that excitement for a gift that lost its luster after five minutes of being with it. How sad is that? You know, as much as I loved this gift when I first received it, it didn't last the test of time. It only brought me temporary joy. And you know, I got to thinking this week. You know what? For a long time, I used to say that was my best gift that I ever received. That was my favorite gift I ever got. But little did I know... That about 12 years later, I'd receive the best gift that I'd ever receive. And that is salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus saves you, again, I said this earlier, he gives it freely. You don't have any big requirements. All he asks is that you believe in him and that you turn from your sinful way. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel, is that all you have to do is simply receive. You know, like that gift on Christmas morning. I didn't deserve that gift and just like your salvation you don't deserve that gift either but you know what's also beautiful about that although the hot wheels that only lasted for what five ten minutes if that it only brought me temporary joy understand that following Jesus is everlasting joy it'll never get dull again church I say for you to hear the good news you got to hear the bad news but we can't dwell on the bad news forever because if you are in Christ today, you have turned from your sinful ways and you are following him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You have a lot to rejoice in. But today, if you are sitting here and you have not accepted that free gift of eternal life, I pray today that you make today the day of your salvation. Understand that, again, We can live our whole lives and think, oh, well, I'll eventually get around to it. I'll eventually get there. If I've learned anything, I've lost a lot of people in my life very unexpectedly. Maybe you've had that too. Life is so uncertain. We can't expect tomorrow, right? What does the writer in James 4 say? What is your life but a vapor that appears for a second and then vanishes away? Do not wait to receive Christ into your life. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord. That's the good news. Accept him today. James 1.17, I'm going to finish with this. Every good, and get, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You know, the people of Nineveh, when they repented and they turned towards the Lord, the Lord was willing and able to forgive them, and he did not destroy them. This father that we read about in the scriptures, this God, he hasn't changed, right? That's what that passage is talking about. There's no variation or shadow due to change. The Lord will never change on you. That gift of salvation that you receive, there's nothing on this earth that can separate you from that gift. It has been paid in full, and all you have to do is accept it. As we're going to go into a time of prayer, I pray that today if you are struggling with that idea, maybe you are saved and you're just like, man, I just don't know. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the people We would love to pray for you. But if today, most importantly, if you do not know Jesus as Lord, I pray that today you can come and accept Jesus into your life and make him the chief cornerstone. Just like that song we sang earlier, Jesus Christ is a living hope. He's living and he's with us now. So, accept that free gift today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.